0: Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Sam Pryn. Hamilton's mayor joins us to talk about the city's plan for the homeless. I speak to two Nova Scotia residents who are at the center of the wildfires in Halifax. Shopify is facing a big class action lawsuit. Aaron O'Toole says Beijing targeted his election campaign. And EV drivers are still facing hurdles on the road. The GMH podcast begins now.
1: This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Hamilton's encampment issue remains, as you know, a hot topic in this community. Where. Where is Hamilton's plan to help the homeless going? I think a lot of people are questioning, you know, what, what is the next step here? And, and will any of these solutions that, that are currently being debated make a big dent, make a positive impact? Andrea Horvath is the mayor of the city of Hamilton and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Ms. Mayor, good morning. How are you today?
2: I'm very well, thanks. How are you, Rick?
0: Not too bad. Let's start, I guess, with the advocate registry. I know this is uh, now before staff, and they're going to investigate how this is going to work. Do you do you support this idea? Do you think there's going to be more pros than cons?
2: Well, in fact, it's not so much the idea; it's uh, it's not shutting any ideas down. So I'm prepared to, you know, be open-minded and get the information. Uh, there's no panacea, that's for sure. I think your uh, intro identified that very clearly. But we have an emergency. We're in a crisis, uh, and I'm always ready to take information, to get information, to understand what uh, you know what somebody else might be bringing to the table. Uh, having said that, it, we just come from uh, myself and and uh, Councillor Nan from the Federation of Canadian Municipalities, and pretty much every city, town, uh, community across the country uh, is in a similar crisis, and so we are all advocating very strongly. To the federal and provincial governments uh, to, um, you know, t- to help us with this, uh, uh, with this situation. Do we have uh, a plan that we're trying to work on? Absolutely. Uh, I-, I supported what the staff brought forward uh, just a little while ago. I thought it was the right mix of, uh, of um, initiatives. We spent uh, uh, about thirty percent, uh, thirty percent more on our housing budget from the last uh, uh, term of council to this one. And so rather the last budget, so the last term of council had their budget, Uh, we increased the housing dollars by 30%, $70 million on housing, that's a lot of money, Uh, but it's not just about the housing, as we know, so the housing is one piece, the mental health services are huge, and that's what we were advocating strongly uh, for the federal government and provincial governments to realize, is that. You know these um, these mental health challenges that people are facing will not just be fixed. They will be addressed with resources, with supports, with therapies, with all of the kinds of things that need to happen uh, to bring people to uh, you know to to mental wellness. And you know, we, we just don't have that capacity at the municipal level. So it will take all orders of government. And yes, I do believe that we will. Be able to start moving forward and finding ways uh, to support people better we've, we've had a couple of good housing announcements recently uh we, you know we are going to continue to do that advocacy but it takes all of us and including you know all of us as neighbors and uh and hamiltonians Let, let's realize that um you know but for the grace of god any one of us could end up in a in a in a mental health crisis and uh or um you know in, in a in a situation of addiction and i think that that's um, the humanity of all of this can ne- can never be lost
0: one more question about the registry would this potentially fall under the residential tenancies act and if it does could we have more cases more issues before the landlord tenant board
2: well i mean i'm not even going to go that far in terms of uh, suggesting that we'll ever even get to that point i think it's a matter of getting the information these are exactly the kinds of questions uh that uh, that are going to be answered and look, this is not something that's been put up as the priority. I know it's getting a lot of attention, but it was very clear that the staff are working on a, a number of other initiatives. Uh, this is kind of on the list of things to do, but in no way has this jumped to the front. Uh, but what it, what it does say is, you know, if we're in a crisis, we don't just throw ideas away. Uh, you know, I'm, I, as I said, I'm, I'm prepared uh, to receive information uh, to get an understanding of what the Councillor was bringing forward. But, um, in no way does that mean that the registry is, uh, something that's, you know, going to happen and that we're going to implement right away. That's definitely not the case. I know it's being described that way or put forward that way by, uh, by some to try to, you know, create some some uh, controversy, that's not what's happening here. Do you have a
0: timeline in terms of the, the encampments in town? Because as we know, you know, winter's really not that far off. We're talking six to eight months, and, and we don't want all these people outside. We want them into some secure or secure housing. It, what's the deadline? What's the timeline that you'd like to, to see?
2: Oh, I, you know, I would have liked to see the timeline yesterday. Who's kidding who? I mean, the, the bottom line is this crisis has been, gone, uh, been ongoing for some time. It worsened significantly. Uh, with COVID nineteen and the uh, the impacts that that had on on a lot of uh, a lot of people, a lot of services, a lot of service providers, but uh, the next report is coming to council after some further consultation. It
0: I think we may have lost uh, Mayor Andrea Horvath. Oh no, she's still with us. Sorry, Andrea, we just oh, lost sorry. you there for a second.
2: Okay, no, and I, I was just going to say, and uh, so. As I said, I supported the the staff report. I think there's no easy solution here. It's going to be challenging no matter what kinds of uh, uh, initiatives we undertake as a city, but as you identify, we have to start doing something. We can't continue to just push this down the road, which is why I supported the staff recommendations last time around. So I'm looking forward to August, and I'm hoping that with this further consultation, uh, we'll have enough members of council around the table to understand that you can't call something an emergency and then not start implementing the solutions. And, and as I said, around the country this is happening. We're trying to look to what other communities are doing to try to find the most, um, the most you know, kind of humane and uh, supportive way of, uh, of helping people who are uh, houseless in, uh, in our city. And
0: yeah, this is one of those issues that has not just one answer, but many answers to an ultimate solution, and hopefully we can get there soon. Uh, Mayor Horvath, Absolutely. thank you for your time today, and uh, good luck with us.
2: Thanks so much, Rick. Take care. You too.
0: Andrea Horvath, Mayor of City Hamilton. And uh, there are a a number of tentacles. It's not just people living in tents. It's mental health. There's an addictions, uh, you know, tentacle to this. There is not, you know, lack of affordable housing in the community. There are so many different things. No shelter spaces. So many elements to this. And we've got to this breaking point, and now we have individuals living in tents when they don't really have to be. They could be in other secure settings. We just got to get them to the finish line. Let's hope that happens uh, very soon. We'll continue to hammer away at this and uh, get the solutions uh, quicker than most.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: You've been hearing about uh, fires certainly in Alberta and B.C., and for the first time in uh, a long time. There are fires burning in Nova Scotia, so much so that thousands of people have been displaced. Hundreds of buildings and homes have been destroyed as these uh, wildfires continue to devastate that Atlantic province. Dan Cavanaugh is a resident of Halifax and has certainly been impacted by the wildfires, as you're about to hear. And he joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Dan, good morning. Thanks for waking up with us today. Oh, no worries. Where do we find you this morning?
3: I'm in uh, Lower Sackville, uh, uh, my in-laws' place, I guess, which is uh, about 15-minute drive from my residence in Hammond's Plains.
0: So tell us what happened. You know, this this wildfire erupts and you're forced to get out of your
3: home. Yeah, it was pretty crazy on Sunday. Uh, we were, it was a beautiful day, 32 degrees. Uh, us and a couple of other families on our street, neighbors, were just out playing in the yard with the kids. And, uh, yeah, all of a sudden it was a clear, sunny day, and it went to apocalyptic uh, pretty quick
0: and, and so this is just smoke coming into the neighborhood and suddenly you realize that something's yeah, well, up we
3: could, we could all smell smoke and there's a there was a provincial ban on for fires any any kind of open fire uh we smelled the smoke and just figured you know someone's obviously doing an illegal burn or something um i just went up the grocery store sobeys which is about five minutes uh southwest of us i just drove up uh, to get some things and i saw a plume of smoke in behind the uh The sovies in what's called uh, the Westwood Hills subdivision. Uh, The plume was quite massive, but at that point, it's pretty far away. You're thinking you're fine. Uh, I went back home, kind of told the neighbors what I saw, and probably within a half hour, uh, the smoke was starting to move our way. And uh, you know, we had 35, 40 k winds that day, so fire was traveling. They figure at about 20 kilometers an hour, as rumored. uh, So it didn't take long hitting our subdivision. So for perspective. Um, I saw that smoke at around 3 o'clock, and we had to evacuate by 5 30. So, within two and a half hours, we had a panic pack and go.
0: So, were you told to evacuate, or do you just figured wow, we got to get out of here?
3: No, there was an alert initially for the Westwood Hills area. We knew that from friends that lived there. we figured you know the alert if it came at all would be you know hours uh, after that initial alert to westwood hills but it wasn't <laughs> it came a lot quicker than we thought so we didn't get to pack much we just grabbed what we could when i was leaving my wife and two kids two boys um had left at around 4 and i'd say by 5:15 there were sparks and embers just dinging off my uh, off my vehicle so i went in the house grabbed the cat grabbed a couple of hoodies for the kids and uh, made our way out to Lower Sackville to our loss.
0: So, paint us a picture of you're in your home. You're you're thinking, "Wow, I got to grab what we need for who knows how long." Uh, w- what was going through your mind?
3: Well, you know, I was, <laughs> hindsight's twenty twenty. I wish I had to grab more, yeah. not, you know, not knowing we would get back there. Um, so, at that point, you know, you're just hoping everybody gets out safe and first responders are okay. Um, but yeah, it's just it's kinda of hard to explain. It's real. It's like you're watching a movie or, or something. Uh, just you're not expecting it to happen. Although there is a you know, there's a larger fire going on, two large fires going on right now in uh, southwest Nova Scotia down towards the Yarmouth area. Um, they're not as talked about as much as because the population isn't as high down there. So, you know, of course anything that happens just outside HRM you know bigger population base so you know it just kind of became reality like it seems like the whole province is on fire and there's still fires popping up uh, like last night probably about 10 kilometers east of our place another big fire erupted and there was uh, more evacuation notices so we don't know what happened overnight um you know whether those fires kind of dissipated a bit but i think they're all out of control right now but uh yeah, they're slowly, we're, we're playing for rain, we'll say that. There's four days of rain forecast coming up here, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So everybody's, uh, you know, waiting impatiently for that. That should
0: be some good news. Dan Cavanaugh is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Dan is a Halifax resident who has been, as you've heard, uh, greatly impacted by the wildfires. Do you, do you know the status of your house?
3: Yeah, great news. We found out yesterday uh, we were able to get an RCMP escort Um, Our house is still standing. There's a little bit of smoke damage inside, but our neighbors like directly across the street Their house is gone. The house to their immediate left is gone Our our streets about a kilometer long so uh, our end of the street Like I said, there's two houses there and then across the street from us There's a small dead end lane called gentle lane pretty much all the houses are gone on there There's about eight eight or nine houses there and then up the the east end or northeast end of uh, Yankee Town Road, which I live on, there's probably eight or nine houses gone, including a large daycare, a large commercial uh, molding warehouse and uh, you know, lots of houses in that area.
0: Just seems like a bad dream. I know you're, you're probably counting your lucky stars that your house is still there, but I mean, your, your community has been hugely affected.
3: Yeah, we're like good friends. You know, uh, we, we had uh, two couples staying with us here uh, from the area. Sunday night, you know, the fire happened Sunday night. They found out Monday evening that their house was gone. So it was tough, you know, for them and being here. But, you know, we were glad we were with them because, you know, we're, we're all good friends. But just it sucks because, uh, you know, materials are on short supply. There's limited contractors here. So, you know, it's probably going to be two to three years maybe before these our friends have their houses rebuilt, if, if they rebuild at all.
0: Wow. Uh, have you been told when you're allowed to go back to your house?
3: Well, we heard the power's back on, and our our neck of the woods was uh, the main grid was was okay. The main line is okay. Uh, Westwood Hills, where the fire originated, but there there's no ETA on um, when the power will be restored there. But we're hopeful, you know, maybe late this week or early next, we'll be able to go back out and at least you know assess things and uh, you know see what's going on and find out you know, get a little more clarity on when we can actually move back home. Uh, we're fine now. Our in-laws. Uh, get, given up their house and got into their cottage uh, for us to stay here so we're one of the lucky
2: ones.
0: We only got about a minute. I would imagine uh, you know the kids are doing okay. They're they're probably not in school, I would guess.
3: Yeah, yeah, school uh, school is closed there. Uh, yeah, all the kids are great. There's uh, what four or four of them here. Uh, my little guy, the eight-year-old, he's he's stressed on a on a good day. So anytime with the the phone makes the uh you know the alert sound, he uh, he panics a little bit. For the most part, they're having great days, lots of fun. They're getting spoiled. So
0: <laughs> that's what it's all about, Dan. Yeah. Uh, well, best of luck going forward. I know it's going to be a, a tough haul for many, but I really appreciate you sharing your story and and giving us a, a glimpse of what's happening in Halifax. Uh, no worries. Dan Kavanaugh, a Halifax resident, as you heard, um, massively impacted by the wildfires. Good news is house still standing, but uh, many others are not. Many, many buildings, ma- many companies, many businesses are going to have to rebuild. Many residents are going to have to rebuild, pick up the pieces, and continue to chug on. It's not going to be an easy scenario by any stretch of the imagination. Coming up in a few minutes' time, the latest, greatest in entertainment, including some of the numbers in for the finale of Succession. And, well, the numbers are pretty big.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: We're turning our focus once again to what is happening in Nova Scotia, the wildfires that are turning lives upside down. Two massive wildfires, and there's others out there, but two monolith-sized wildfires are burning out of control. Thousands of people have been displaced. Hundreds of homes, hundreds of buildings have been damaged or destroyed. Allison Clements is a Nova Scotia resident and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Allison, good morning. How are you today?
4: Good morning, Rick. How are things? Well, things here are,
0: are well. How, how are things going there? What's uh, what's your life like today?
4: Oh, you know, <laughs> it's, um, <laughs> it's been uh, whirlwind, you know, just over 48 hours. Just, I think, no matter where you are in Nova Scotia, you're feeling anxious, intense, even listening to you, you know, talk about the fires, I could feel my anxiety build up a bit. Um, It's, it's just very strange. You know, when the evacuation order went out, we were actually um, in the public gardens in Halifax doing my stepson's prom photos. And I'm looking around and there are about 600 kids who have been through two years of COVID already And half of them are now watching their homes be evacuated because of a forest fire. You know, it was just absolutely surreal. But Nova Scotians, we all like to pull together and, you know, support each other. So that's what we're doing, even in all this tragedy that's happening around us.
0: So there's smoke all around you. You know, there's an evacuation alert in effect. Uh, Are you rushing home to get stuff? Take us through that process.
4: Yeah, so so where I am, it's about thirty kilometers west of the forest fire. So um, I guess thankfully, in our sense, winds usually go west east, not east to west. Um, so we didn't have to leave. However, my stepson's mother. Had to leave, and it was immediate tears. She's like, I-, I gotta go. And so she was able to get back to the subdivision, but wasn't allowed in, um, but was able to run through the ditch, grab the papers. The house was already full of smoke. Um, So it was, you know, it's sheer panic. Uh, A lot of people didn't get back in time. They didn't get back in time to rescue their pets. They didn't get back to, you know, save what precious things they wanted to grab from the house. But a lot did. Um, The area in and around is very locked down right now from Halifax regional um, first responders, So it's just a lot of panic in and around the area. We are hearing now about the number of homes that are gone. Right now, it's uh, about 150 homes are gone. We know of at least two people directly whose homes are absolutely to the ground. Um, So it's, it's very, you know, life has changed completely in this area. And that area in particular is a... Bedroom community to Halifax. A lot of first responders live in Tantallon and, and in the Hammonds Plains area, um, and they are fighting the fire and potentially also watching their own home go. So it's uh, it is very surreal. I will say that.
0: Allison Clements is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Allison is in Nova Scotia and uh, obviously one of many who have been impacted by the wildfires in the uh, in the province. You're also a spokesperson for the Association of Fundraising Professionals in Canada, and I'm sure you're used to raising funds for charities, good causes, maybe some catastrophes as well. Did you ever think you'd be doing something for your own province?
4: <laughs> Not again. I mean, we just did COVID. I work for... Uh a hospital foundation here in nova scotia and uh i mean these we always pull together that's what east coasters do that's what we all do as canadians so um i it's not surprising that fundraisers are starting to pop up a lot of people have lost a good portion of their homes if not their entire homes and they're all displaced so there are going to be some you know pages like gofundme pop up all people have good intentions at their core. We want to help. However, there are some people who have malicious intent, and it's just always good, you know, when all these crises are happening across the country, too. We're not alone in this forest fire uh, crisis at the moment. Um, You want to help, and so it's just good to be vigilant, especially if you're going to be donating online.
0: Is there a central donation standpoint? Is it United Way kind of at the forefront?
4: Uh, Right now we're hearing uh, the Red Cross does a lot of this here in Nova Scotia. So, um, you know, it, it is a great way to give, especially they are a registered charity. And that's one thing I would advise if you are looking to give. Um, registered charities are a wonderful way because through um, the Association of Fundraising Professionals, we do have a code of ethics. And that means that your donor dollar is going to have the intent fulfilled so it will get to the people in need. Not to say that GoFundMe pages don't serve the purpose. They absolutely do. But it's one of those things where anyone can have a GoFundMe page. So, you know, Google is your best friend. Do some research. Um, You know, take a look at who's giving to the page. Do you see familiar names? Do you see familiar community organizations? GoFundMe and other platforms as well, but specifically GoFundMe actually has a way that you can contact the campaign organizers. So, ask questions. There's no dumb question. You want to make sure that you're comfortable where your donor dollar is going. So just take a look, feel comfortable because, you know, trust your gut. If something's not right, don't give the money. Yeah, if but, it's too
0: good to be true, uh, it's, it probably is. Allison, we'll have to leave it there. We're out of time. I appreciate your time uh, this morning. Stay safe and uh, hopefully the rains this weekend to kind of help firefighters in their in their efforts.
4: Fingers crossed. Thanks so much, Rick, for checking in. Allison
0: Clements, Nova Scotia resident, also spokesperson for the Association of Fundraising Professionals in Canada.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Shopify, yes, the e-commerce giant, has been hit with a mega lawsuit, a $130 million class action lawsuit. Why? Well, the company is alleged to have illegally tried to slash severance packages after announcing a nationwide mass layoff. And here to talk about it is Lior Samfiro, national co-managing partner of Semfiro Tumarkin LLP, who joins us now on GMH. Lior, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Thanks for having me on. This does not
5: look good for Shopify. It does not look good for Shopify at all. And, and it's certainly something that employers, in my experience, just don't do. I've been doing this for a long time. Imagine a situation where Shopify makes an offer to an employee for severance, not a windfall offer not a fantastic offer a reasonable offer tells the employee you have to accept this and we're going to put pressure on you to accept this we're going to give you a deadline by which you have to accept this employee says fine i will do as you as you've asked me i will accept it now we have a binding deal only for then after acceptance shopify to turn, turn around and say oh no no sorry we're not going to pay that we're going to pay you tens of thousands of dollars less than what we've agreed not a good look, but more importantly, not legal. We call that a breach of contract. So you've not come across this type of scenario before, at least not to this magnitude? Absolutely not. I, I And I've seen a lot of things in my many years of practice. I've never seen anything like this. I don't expect I will again. And I'm hoping because of that, that ultimately Shopify will want to do the right thing legally and the right thing by their former employees and resolve this and pay what it was obligated to
0: pay. For those listeners who are tuning in thinking, geez, I don't want this to happen to me.
5: How does, how should severance work? So, severance uh, is based on a number of factors. There's a lot of misconceptions out there. A lot of people think that severance is a week per year of service or two weeks per year of service. None of that is true. Severance is based on a number of factors, mostly your age, your position, and the length of your employment. And severance can be as much as 24 months' pay. And in the majority of cases, when someone is offered severance, it's actually less than what they're owed. So, that's why it's important. To get advice to understand what you've been offered and make sure that there's nothing else they're owing well with shopify employees did that they got legal advice and were told you know what not the best offer we've seen but a good offer good enough to accept they did the right thing and then they turn around and to accept those offers only of course for shopify to then pull the rug uh, out from under them and say no no not going to happen. So the right thing always is to get legal advice if you're staring at that severance letter.
0: So this is another example of employees not having to accept a severance package or a severance offer.
5: There are options out there. Absolutely, and in many cases, an employer expects you to negotiate. They understand that you you are offered more. And uh, too many people do accept offers and then realize after it's too late that they accepted a bad offer. But in those situations, just because an employee accepts the offer and then realizes, oh, my gosh, I was owed more, that employee can't go back and say, forget it, no deal, pay me more. By the same token in this scenario, if Shopify realizes that, you know what, we offered more than we intended, they can't go back either. It doesn't work that way, not at all.
0: How much money, and you probably don't have an an accurate figure on this, it'll be anecdotally, how much money do people leave on the table figuring, oh, this is the best deal I'm going to get?
5: You know I, I can tell you having done this for for over 20 years and and doing this every single day that the the delta the difference between what people are, are offered and what they're truly owed in most cases is in the tens of thousands of dollars and that's why you know if we're talking a few hundred dollars maybe you take it maybe you leave it but those types of differences people leave on the table often just because they don't know any better it's it, there's a lot of misinformation and myths out there Uh, That's why, you know, every employee, senior, junior, long service, or just started working, should always take the time to get that legal advice to avoid the scenario where they realize I was owed more, but now it's too late. We have one more minute with Lior
0: Samfiro from Sanfiro to Mark and LLP. By the way, you can catch the Employment Law Show every Saturday at 10 a.m. on Global TV and listen to it Saturday and Sunday at noon on 900 CHML.
5: Lior, what what are the next steps in this process? So, the next step is, of course, to have a court formally certify the class action. That means a court would have to decide that it makes sense for this to proceed as one big uh, lawsuit as opposed to many individual ones. We think that's a formality here. All these individuals have uh, very many things in common. Uh, but frankly, our hope is that we're not going to have to do that. We're not going to have to make things harder for these employees. And the Tropify is going to say, okay we made a mistake, we're going to fix that mistake and do what's right. So stay tuned. But that's the hope here. Is the likeliest scenario a settlement out of court? That is certainly what happens in most of these cases, the vast majority of them. And this certainly should be a case that should resolve. It is fairly straightforward from a legal standpoint. It's a straightforward from a fairness standpoint. So if I was a betting man, I would certainly expect for this to resolve uh, with a settlement at some point.
0: Any listener out there who needs an employment lawyer, contact the best. Samfiro Simf- uh, Tamarkin, LLP, online, stlawyers.ca. Leo, thanks for the time today. Best of luck with us. Th-
5: thank you so much for having me on. Take care.
0: Lior Samfiro, national co-managing partner, Samfiro Tamarkin, LLP. Again, online, stlawyers.ca.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Former... Federal conservative leader Aaron O'Toole in the House of Commons yesterday, standing up and, uh, well, spilling a a lot of the beans that uh, I'm not sure many people were anticipating they were going to hear. But he says he was informed by CSIS that he and the party was a target of active voter suppression by Beijing. The briefing from CSIS confirmed to me what I expected, suspected for quite some time, that my parliamentary caucus and myself we're the target of a sophisticated misinformation and voter suppression campaign orchestrated by the People's Republic of China before and during the 2021 general election. Okay, let's dig into this with Kim Wright, founder and principal, Wright Strategies, here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Kim, thanks for waking up with us each and every day here on the show. Uh, how are you?
6: I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm
0: good. What did you make of what Mr. O'Toole had to say yesterday?
6: Well, I think it was incredibly brave for him to say, go in front of the House and say, these are the things that I was told in my CSIS briefing. Uh, and how does that reflect my privilege as a parliamentarian? How can we get uh, some more sunshine and daylight uh, on what is happening with CSIS? And how do we make sure that this is not going to continue to happen? This is one of those times, Rick, where uh, as, as listeners So who've been following the story will know that if you got one of those CSIS briefings, you weren't allowed to say anything about it, which added a lot more, uh, you know, shadiness, shall we say, uh, to this whole situation. Aaron O'Toole then took that and said, okay, dear parliament. How do we deal with this? Because being a target of foreign interference uh, as a party leader, but also as an individual MP, uh, is, is really at the heart of some of these serious allegations that the prime minister needs to, to look into. Now, he,
0: I guess, took advantage of parliamentary privilege in which he could have, or he obviously did, release maybe more details than we expected him to do so. Is that part of his plan?
6: Yeah absolutely this was one of those things where parliamentarians have when they're in inside the house of commons inside the chamber have what is called parliamentary privilege which means that they can say things and ask questions in a way that allows them not to be uh, subject to lawsuits essentially um so he used a bit of a bit of parliamentary procedure to get More to the heart of some of these allegations, some of the things he had discovered within his uh, CSIS briefing, and where what they have, what parliamentarians have been told, and you'll have heard Pierre Polyev and others say this. Uh, that if you get that CSIS briefing, you're not allowed to talk about it. Uh, and and so Erin O'Toole use parliamentary privilege uh, to ask questions, but more to get to the heart of how, how much Canadians, frankly, don't know about what happened with the foreign interference, of not only the 21 campaign, but the 19 campaign as well.
0: Talking about foreign interference in our elections with Kim Wright, founder and principal Wright Strategies on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Now, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh, as we know, has been strengthening his call for a public inquiry, saying that David Johnston should be removed as special rapporteur. Could this be the issue that ends the liberal NDP coalition or Supply and Confidence Agreement, whatever they're calling it?
6: Well, to to be frank about it all, Ethics were always uh, part of the conversation with the supply agreement. Uh, so, the confidence of supply agreement meant that the New Democrats were going to support uh, the Liberals on budget matters as long as they met certain criteria. Dental care, pharmacare, care, those those types of big uh, policy issues that help Canadians. The conversations around ethics, and and remember, this was struck in the, uh, you know, snc and we scandal, you know, all, all the shadows of those scandals, uh, and and part of that agreement was that the New Democrats were always going to call out what they thought were egregious violations of ethics. Uh, And they continue to do that. In fact, Jikmeet Singh was one of the first leaders, if not the first leader, to call for a public inquiry, not only of China interference, but of all foreign actor interference, because we know that Russia has been uh, knocking at the gates, so to speak, uh, on on foreign interference as well. So that's not inconsistent. Uh, What we're seeing now is, all of these CSIS briefings and NDP MP uh, Jenny Kwan has gotten one as well, uh, and realized how much of a target she has been, uh, and and that parliamentarians and Canadians really do want to see a neutral. Public inquiry that gets to the bottom of this, uh, because it can't be continued to be people who have been fundraising uh, for the Liberal Party over the years, or are really part of an inner circle or an inner cabal. There really does need to be an independent public inquiry that gets to the bottom of this.
0: I see the NDP being caught in a bit of a you know be- between a rock and a hard place here because they're they're calling for a public inquiry, and if it does not happen, they're going to be seen as continuing to support this government who's not doing what they're asking.
6: Uh, agreed. What I will also say is that there are an awful lot of liberal MPs uh, who also have to look at their constituents. They are they are propping up a government, uh, their own party, that continues to look the other way or say, just trust us, we know better uh, as part of this. One of the things that I think gave a significant disservice uh, to David Johnston, the former governor general, who by all accounts before this used to be considered an eminent Canadian. And he has frankly uh, diminished his his credibility with this report. Uh, he He said, essentially, well, if you saw the evidence I saw, you'd think it was okay. And the reality is, Maybe it is, but we haven't seen the evidence. We haven't seen what he has seen, and Canadians deserve to know what has been seen. What is that evidence, and how do we get how do we get through that? Uh, there's a column in the Toronto Sun by a, by a political uh, fellow named Mitch Humple. and uh, Mitch actually talks about this quite in depth about uh, how David Johnson frankly needs to go, uh, but also how we need to get to the light of day. Mitch uh, was a was a staffer in the Conservative Party and and work for Mr. O'Toole on that campaign. And the things that they saw dur- during the 2021 campaign through WeChat and other uh, social media platforms, uh, as well as what they were hearing on the ground, frankly, should be concerning to Canadians and we should get to the bottom of this. I agree with that. Kim, uh, always appreciate your time on the show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Kim Wright,
0: founder and principal Wright Strategies. Here is another tentacle to this. I know we've got to go, but you know, we're not we're probably not that far away from the next election. The question is going to be, how will foreign interference play a part in the next vote? And Is voter confidence going to be impacted? We'll, of course, continue to follow this story as the the new tentacles are born each and every day, it seems.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Later on this summer, actually late summer. I'm going to be taking a trip to the East Coast, and hopefully by then, fingers crossed, Nova Scotia is much better than it is today with some of the wildfires they are battling. But it's going to be the first major family road trip for my wife and the kids, and they'll all hop into the car and go to Atlantic Canada. Now, we don't have an EV. We don't have an electric vehicle. And in some cases, I wish we did because, you know, the gas prices these days. But this summer, there's going to be thousands of EV owners and and first-time electric vehicle drivers who are going to be taking their first road trip in said EVs. And they're doing this. As Canada's charging infrastructure, we know that this is an issue in Ontario, is still a work in progress. So here to help us out is Ricardo Chan, Senior Manager of Product Marketing with Hyundai Canada, who joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Ricardo, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. I'm good. And you? I'm okay. So for those people who do have an electric vehicle and they're thinking, you know, we got to take a road trip this summer. Are they secure in doing so, uh, given our challenges with with charging stations in this province and in this country?
7: They are for sure. They are so. So you need to keep in mind that uh, the, the the vehicles are advancing. The technology in the vehicles are is advancing uh, like uh, a fast, uh, very very fast. So so you have a way. Um, very good uh ranges in in the vehicles right now and uh and the infrastructure maybe is not there yet but also charging speed in these vehicles is very 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 fast so as long as you can actually plan your trip uh it's, it's very easy to move along and very very uh large distances we even have a customer that went all the way to Mexico and back from Quebec wow uh in in an EV so it's it's doable and it's happening as we speak.
0: How long is the average charge take? Is this half an hour, more than an hour? Give us a sense of that. It,
7: it depends on which kind of charger do you have. So so over vehicles, Ionic 5, Ionic Six, you can charge as fast as 18 minutes, a full charge. Hmm. Uh so under 20 minutes you can stop go grab something for 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 lunch and then come back and the car is going to be full Uh, depending of course of the charger so if the charger is not a super fast charger then uh, it can take around maybe one hour to fully charge the vehicle but in 15 minutes you can get more than 100 uh, kilometers range
0: Uh, does that lead to some of the myths about evs the the charging the distance or range talk about myths of evs and some things that people think are actually true but they're not
7: the, um, okay so we have to start with the the um, in the past the, the evs were not uh as efficient as they are today um the technology is advancing uh, again as i mentioned it so uh right now you can go almost 600 kilometers in one charge so so um and and again charge as as fast as twenty minutes. So it's th- those. I mean, we we are still fighting with those meets. Uh, we we still need to keep in consideration that uh, a gas card you can charge it in, in uh, or or fill in in only five minutes. So we are still uh, a little bit behind, but getting there. So so again, as long as you can plan your trip, it's gonna be perfect.
0: What is the cost of charging the average electric vehicle in comparison to filling up a tank of gas?
7: It depends on the network that you are using, but I will say probably it's going to be between 10 uh, to, to 12 or 15 bucks. Uh, again, depending on the charger, how fast the charger is, because uh, the the faster the charger is, the the the, the more expensive. But it's is way under what you will pay with a, a, a in a in a gasoline pump.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Especially if a big truck and you're spending you know triple digits to fill the tank, and especially on a long road trip, uh, that that'll get tiresome in a hurry. Uh, we're in discussion with Ricardo Chan, a senior manager of product marketing at Hyundai Canada, and we we've come a long way with EVs, and we got about 90 seconds to discuss this but Hyundai uh has come out with some pretty cool looking and i would i would assume very efficient electric vehicles as well
7: just yes, just yes, we have and, and we're uh, pretty excited about it so last year we ended as uh uh top uh, second uh, i mean top ev selling brand in canada among mainstream uh second uh if you consider uh a full ev brands uh, i'm i'm talking about tesla but uh we are uh Pretty optimistic about the, the new vehicles that are coming. And uh, yeah, uh, the times are exciting. We know there are mandates from the government, and the infrastructure is getting there. So it's, 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 uh, this is the new future, I guess. It is pretty exciting,
0: and, you know, for some, a little scary because they're used to what they have been used to for decades. But hopping into a v- an EV this summer, if you're doing so, at least uh, you have a-, a good roadmap to a a nice, relaxing, and in some cases, cheaper adventure than uh, a-, a regular gas vehicle. Ricardo, we'll have to leave it there. Thanks for your time today, and best of luck with uh, developing the next greatest EV at Hyundai Canada. Thank you, Rick. Ricardo Chan, Senior Manager of Product Marketing at Hyundai. And, yeah, as I mentioned, they have some pretty cool uh, and I would assume very efficient EVs at Hyundai, whether it's the Kona EV, the Ionic 5, the Ionic 6, the World Car of the Year. So uh, pretty sporty and uh, and great stuff when it comes to fuel efficiency.
1: Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com.
0: The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Sandler imprint. Thanks again for listening and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode and make sure you rate and review.